Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Vintage Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning to everybody who's watching us online. Move into that season now where, where people are traveling. Just remind you, man, you can worship with us wherever you are as you're traveling throughout the summer. We are live every Sunday at 8.15 and, and 10 o'clock. And remind you, too, we have an 11.45 gathering. When that works best into your schedule, that God is up to something in his church. He's up to something in his church, and I'm just grateful. To, I just want to get out of the way and let him do it. Anybody else feel what I'm talking about? Grab your Bible. Go to Galatians chapter 5. And as you're turning there, or you can pull up the, the vintage app and go to the notes section. Uh, I don't know if you know the church calendar. There are three kind of significant Sundays in the church. And the first two, most of us are all in. But the one that we are celebrating today is one that we don't talk about as much. We love to talk about Christmas because everybody loves Christmas and Santa Claus and presents and trees so much so you put your, you're probably put July 4th, you're going to put up your tree. I know some of y'all. But we love Christmas, Easter. Easter is one that we celebrate and everybody comes to church as we celebrate the empty tomb and that kind of thing. But today, all over the world, the church is celebrating what we know as Pentecost. Pentecost Sunday. And, and right when I say the word Pentecost, it triggers some people because you grew up Pentecostal and you just want to start speaking in tongues and you don't know what to do. And now everybody's like, there's, did you hear that uncomfortable laugh? It's like, <laughs> like, I'm not sure what to do with that. And some of us, because we grew up in a tradition that really felt like that was weird, we, we don't even celebrate this day. But Pentecost is the day that God kept another promise. It's the day that the Holy Spirit fell and the church was born, that his spirit was no longer contained or confined to a building or to a place. But when Jesus comes into our lives and clears out the baggage of sin in our hearts, he turns you and me into a temple. I don't know if you knew that, but you were turned into a temple. That's why some of us decorate them a little bit. <laughs> Whole nother sermon, ain't it? Uh, But you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God resides in you that when Jesus died, it says the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom and his spirit is unleashed from a confined space and it lives in you. So that means you are not perfect, but you walk around with the holy power of God residing in you. Come on, somebody. Do you understand that? Like the Holy Spirit of God is with you all the time wherever you go and that has significant ramifications for your life especially as it pertains to everything that we're talking about right now. Because right now, we have kind of hit pause in the book of Galatians. We spent several weeks walking through this letter. It's not even a book, it's a letter. It was a letter written by a guy named Paul to a group of believers in this little area of Galatia, and he's trying to help them understand the plain and simple and powerful gospel. And in Galatians chapter five, he starts to unpack, hey, when we allow, this, when we allow ourselves to turn into a temple, when we really live in a way where the Holy Spirit is, is residing in us, it produces stuff in our lives. It doesn't make us weird or crazy or turn us into some really boring Christian. It turns us into a lie, an alive follower of Jesus. Alive, free, follower of Jesus. And when the, the evidence of us walking in that spirit 
it produces fruit, fruit that you're longing for. And what he's trying to say is, yeah, that, that this gospel has made us free, but in our freedom, don't abuse it, don't misuse it, because if you do, if you allow that freedom to result in being ruled by your flesh instead of led by the Spirit, it will always lead you back to chains. But when you are led by the Spirit, it produces some powerful fruit in your lives. And so Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, but I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the desire of the flesh is against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition with one another in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. That there's this war going on in your heart. Flesh versus spirit. And anybody ever let the flesh rule and got the scars to show it? Got the resume? Got the broken relationships? Got the bankruptcy? Got all the things that following the flesh leads to? Come on, somebody. Because following the flesh never ends well, right? It never ends well. It feels good in the moment. Has, has some time of temporary pleasure. But the things that are produced from being ruled by the flesh are not gonna give you the abundant life that Jesus died for you to have. But he says, walk by the Spirit. And this is what's produced. Verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit as well. And let's not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Like when we're walking by the Spirit, we don't look at the amount of love and patience and patience. Patience. That's peace and patience, patience. <laughs> Kindness, gentleness. We don't compare fruit. That's not healthy. But what he's saying is when the spirit is residing in your heart, when you let Jesus turn you into a temple of his spirit, what's produced is the things that you want. Come on. You want love. You want joy. You want peace. You want patience. You want kindness. You want these things. But the only way to get them is through the spirit. See, these fruits we're talking about, these fruits cannot be faked or forced. That's how you know the difference between a fruit of the Spirit and something, something else. You can't, you can't fake it, and you can't force it. It is only produced by God. So there's something that you might be calling. There might be somebody that says, that looks like joy, that looks like peace, but it's only produced from living in a constant relationship with Jesus. See, Paul is not saying really anything new. Jesus ushered in this idea. Remember John chapter 15, verse one. He says, I am the vine, the true vine, and my father's the gardener. And see what he does is he cuts off every branch in me that does not bear fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it. You ever been pruned in your life? You ever felt that pruning process where God says, I gotta shave this back a little bit so it can grow better? Some of y'all are in the pruning season and you need to embrace it. God's saying, I need to cut that person out. I need to cut that job out. I need to cut that thing out because if I don't, it's gonna smother the work I wanna do in you in the future. Y'all might get like 17 sermons today. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. That's all I need to read right now. He says, no, go back. Verse four, go to verse four. Rem verse four says, remain in me and I will remain in you. 
You see that? Remain in me and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. That the fruit that we're talking about in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, all these things are the byproduct of a life lit. It's the result of remaining. And to remain in Jesus means, look at me, means Jesus can't be just a weekend thing. It means you just can't hang out with Jesus when you hang out with us. It means you can't just read those verses when they're on the screen and never touch your Bible during the week. It means you can't just pray when we gather in here to pray. And I keep seeing Ann Milliken and I wanna cry because I talked about her beautiful baby girl and there it is, I'm sorry, it's awesome. We praise God for what he's doing to your family. There, now I can preach. It's the result of remaining. And see, so many of us, the reason we're not seeing the fruit is because we're not doing the work of remaining. We walk out of this room and we forget about Jesus till we come back in it the next week. And then you wonder, where's the joy? Where's the peace? Where's the patience? Where's the kindness? Well, Jesus made it clear, these things only happen, they only are produced when you stay connected to him that he wants you to bear fruit. And so we're spending some time through most of the summer unpacking these different fruits of the Spirit, leaning into each one individually and talking about what they look like and, and, and what scripturally and biblically they mean. And we started last week talking about love, that what a follower of Jesus should do better than anybody else is love but not just any old kind of love, not like romantic comedy love, not, not, not good R&B song love. I'm talking about real biblical love, the love given to us and modeled for us by Jesus, that kind of love. And we unpacked that last week, and today we step into that next fruit, and I gotta be honest, this is the hardest one for me to preach because it's the hardest one for me to understand. Because he also says joy flows from a life of someone who follows Jesus. Joy. Joy. And I've spent my whole life trying to understand what that word means. Because we know it's different than happiness. We know there's a distinction between joy and, and other things, but, but joy, what is joy really, what does it really mean? In my whole life, I've heard pastors say lines like this, God is not concerned with your happiness, but rather your holiness. And in principle, I don't disagree. But it almost acts like, when you hear it, are you like me, like, well, does God want me to be sad? Because I don't think God wants me to be sad, right? That God is more concerned with your holiness than your happiness, said the guy in the Navy suit. But then I read stuff like this in John chapter 15. Jesus, if you move into John chapter 15 and several chapters there where he's in the upper room with his disciples and he's saying some really important things. John 15, verse 10. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Then verse 11. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Sounds like Jesus is very concerned with our joy. He says, I've told you all this so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be complete. 
Then he would say something similar. Go to John 17, verse 13. I'm coming to you now. He's praying. He's praying to the Father. And he's praying for them and he's praying for us. And he says, I'm coming to you now. But I say these things while I'm in the world so that they, my followers, may have the full measure of my joy within them. That one of the last things that Jesus says is he prays that you and I would not have a little bit of joy, but the full measure of his joy. And so, yes, I know that God is concerned with our happiness, or not concerned with our happiness, he's concerned with our, our holiness, but I would say to you, he delights in our joy. That there is nothing that pleases the heart of God as much as watching his children walk in the fullness of joy afforded to them by what Jesus has done. And as a parent, I know this. As a parent, there's nothing better than seeing your kids full of joy. Nothing better. And there was a moment when, when my kids, or at least my daughter, was just overwhelmed with joy. And it was the coolest thing ever. And I caught it on video. Aiden and Leah were tiny, tiny babies, and, and it, was, it was Halloween, and so we were hanging out at the house, and, and one of the things we had done is we had, we had dressed them up in the garments of glory, otherwise known as Clemson Tiger gear. <laughs> and we were wanting to take their picture. And you know, it, it is crazy the dumb things a parent will do to make a child smile for a picture. You will make a complete fool out of yourself to make your child, I mean, you will do, you'll make, Noises. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Mommy, never mind. And I've kept it. And so there's moments I just go back and watch it. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you're going to start your day off really good. Check, check this out. Let me see if I can get it on my phone. If you didn't laugh just now, you have no soul. Because <laughs> that is the best thing ever. That, like, <laughs> that guttural laugh. It's like, where is that coming from? And the coolest part is Aiden's like, what the heck is happening right now? <laughs> he still looks at Leah like that a lot. But just that, that guttural laugh. And as I think about joy, every time I think about joy, I, I think about that. And no, joy is not a feeling, but it is felt. You know what I'm saying? It's not a feeling. It's not, it's not an emotion, but it, but it is most definitely felt. And joy is something that Jesus wants us to have. It's joy is something that the Spirit is supposed to produce in our lives. But the hardest thing for me is I can't, I have a hard time really describing it. And I've heard every preacher under the sun come up with some idea of what it is. But here's the thing. Joy looks different in and on everybody. It's just different. 
It is very different than happiness, there's no doubt. Because the problem with happiness is, have you ever noticed how happiness and happening almost look like the same word? That there is such a similarity in happiness and happening, that's because happiness is very dependent on what's happening. It is that feeling or that emotion. And when the right things are happening, we have happiness. But when the wrong things are happening, we don't have happiness. And so that's not joy. Happiness can also be faked. And we just said a fruit of the spirit cannot be faked. We can fake happy. A lot of us do it really, really well. How you doing? I'm fine. I'm good. How's life? Great. Wife hates me. Kids are crazy, but I'm good. Like we can, we can fake that, but I'm not talking about that. But it's, it is hard to measure. It's, the word here in, in the Greek language is kara. It's, it's joy. It's this deep-seated gladness. But it is so hard to see because sometimes people can have joy and you can't necessarily see it. Over the last year, we haven't seen anybody's joy. Like this is what we've seen of everybody. So unless you're really good with smiling with your eyes, people are like, I don't know, is he mad, is he hanging? I don't understand. But it looks different on everybody. And where happiness is connected to happenings, joy, joy transcends circumstance. Like all throughout the Bible, we hear people described as having joy in situations that don't produce happiness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul describes a church, and I want you to look at just the opposing words that are compromise or that are that are comprising this, this sentence. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Then look at this verse. Verse 2: In the midst of very severe trial their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. And all God's people said, what? Leave that up there. In the midst of severe trial, there's overflowing joy. That doesn't make sense. In, the, in extreme poverty, there's rich generosity. See, when the spirit is in you, it flips everything on its head. It just has the power to do that. That even in severe trial, you can have joy. That even in poverty, even when you're broke, God can flow generosity from your life. That happiness is something that's fleeting based on happenings, but joy is this transcendent thing that God gives us. And, and just keep in mind, we have joy at all times, but it doesn't mean we enjoy, enjoy all things. That was really good. We have joy at all times, but it does not mean we enjoy all things. I think Jesus had joy as he went to the cross knowing what he would produce in our lives. I don't think he enjoyed hanging on that tree. There's a difference. And so I can't really describe what it looks like, but God has been teaching me how it happens in our lives. And of all the things, I, I struggle to sustain joy in my life. Because I'm that, I'm that person that looks for a reason to worry. 
And if you can't find one, you get worried. You know what I'm talking about? Like, oh my gosh, I'm not worrying about anything. What am I not worrying about? I'm worried that I'm not home. What am I worried about? My wife is the exact opposite. I'd go home and say, babe, the house burned down. We have no money. She'd say, okay. She'd just chill, man. And I'm like, freaking out. I let the smallest little thing rob me of joy. And as a follower of Jesus, we should have more joy than any other group of people on the planet. And so the question is, is, is how? And first, it's, it's understanding that, that joy is a, pers- it is a perspective. Come on. Joy is, is not about the position you're in in your life. It's not about the circumstances of your position. It's about the consistency of your perspective. Because it is a perspective. It's not a position. You with me? Say amen. That, that joy is the product of a perspective given to us and sustained in us by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Did you get that? Joy is the product of a perspective given to us and sustained in us by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. But the problem is life constantly wants to move your perspective, doesn't it? You'll have those days and you wake up and you've got perspective, man, because you got up and you read your Bible and you listened to the right music on the way to work and you didn't open Facebook and you did all the right things and then you walked in, you sat down and you opened email. (laughs) And your perspective just went, it just got shifted. And so the key to sustain joy in our lives is allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us, and give us the wisdom and discernment to do the things that we can in order to maintain that perspective. And so can I just unpack? There's four things that God has been teaching me. All right, Matt, I want to empower you through my spirit. Remember, you can't, none of these are produced on our own, right? You with me? Say amen. But I'm gonna give you the power to do these things, and I've given you the resources to do these things to maintain the perspective that produces joy in your life. First, you gotta fix your eyes. You gotta fix your eyes. Because where you fix your eyes determines almost everything. And we have a hard time looking at the world through the lens of God's goodness instead of its brokenness. We have a really hard time looking at the world through the lens of God's goodness instead of its brokenness. And if you see the world through its brokenness instead of God's goodness, it will always suck the joy right out of your life. That's why the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse one, therefore, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. 
For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That when life comes at you as fast as it often does, what you need to do, if you only fixate on the problems and the pressure instead of his promise and his presence, it will rob the joy from your lives. So you gotta fix your eyes. You gotta stop looking at the world through all the stuff. When you, look, when you look at the world through the filter of the gospel, it changes everything, doesn't it? Just notice what he says. Consider what he went through. Now, let me say this. I'm not trying, look at me. I'm not trying to downplay any of the things that you're going through and act like they're not heavy and real. You with me? Say amen. But you will never be asked to go through what Jesus went through for you. It's highly unlikely. That's what, hey, when, when, when life gets really, really hard, remember all the hard that Jesus went through so that you could have his presence. Remember, everybody abandoned him and they brutally murdered him so that you could have life. And let that put in perspective the pressures that you're experiencing right now. And that's not to say they're not real and they're not heavy and they don't, Matter. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is in the light of the gospel and glory of God, everything comes back to perspective. In the light of eternity and what he has for you, you gotta fix your eyes. It also means like literally fix your eyes. Like stop looking at some of that stuff. It's easy to see all the brokenness in the world because we have social media and 24-hour news cycles And when you look at the world through the lens of every single headline, no wonder you don't have any joy. What are you letting your eyes see? What are you letting your ears hear? Fix your eyes. So that then you can not just fix your eyes. If you're going to sustain the perspective that's necessary to produce joy, fix your eyes, but also set your mind. We've talked about this a lot. You're like, Matt, that again? Yes, because it's littered all throughout Scripture. You've got to set your mind that what's happening in here is greatly impacting everything out here. And it's hard to hold constantly a negative thought and live a joyful life. And have you ever noticed how we can set, more often than not, at least for me, more of my life is good than bad. There's bad things, but more is good than bad. But which one do I think about most? Which one, do you, which one gets more of your attention? You gotta set your mind that if you're gonna sustain the perspective necessary to produce joy, you gotta fix your eyes and you gotta set your mind. Philippians chapter four. And let me just remind you that everything that you're about to hear was penned by Paul in prison. This entire book was written with Paul never knowing if the next sound was a jailer coming through those doors in order to finally take him out and take his life. So he's living, really, he never knows when his next meal is his last meal. And he says, rejoice in the Lord Always. Well, Paul, you don't know my circumstances. Well, do you understand his? 
Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness, another fruit of the Spirit, be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace, another fruit of the Spirit, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. That Paul, he's sitting in jail, in chains, never knowing when he's going to live or die. And he says, rejoice. You know why? Because he knows his joy isn't dependent on the position of his body. See, your body can be in prison, but your mind can be free and still have joy. They could control when he ate. They could control what he did. They could control everything about his life. They could not control what was in his mind. And in your life, everything can go sideways, and you cannot fix every situation, but you can control what's in here in your brain through the power of the Holy Spirit. Take it captive, as it says, to Christ. And you know what? You set your mind and fix your eyes, and you'll start stepping towards joy. Fix your eyes. Look at the world, look at people, look at your situation through the lens of the gospel of Jesus. Set your mind. Don't let those things stay there because if they do, they will rob you of joy. Third thing is you have to guard your heart. Look at me because life will make it hard. Guard your heart because life will make it hard. Every time you experience something bad, if you don't let God heal it, if you don't let God restore it, it starts to chip away at your soul. And your heart starts to get hardened over time. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You experience disappointment, you experience betrayal, you experience all these bad things, and next thing you know, your heart starts to get hard and hard and hard and hard, and you start to resist anything, even the good stuff. And if you don't guard your heart, it will get so hard that it's not able to receive the joy that God wants to put in it. It goes from that sponge that wants to absorb the thing of God to that rock that won't let anything in. Especially when it comes to people and relationships, we get hurt and hurt and hurt and hurt because let me tell you, people are the greatest source of joy and the greatest pain in And if you're not careful, you'll let those wounds make your heart hard and you'll resist all that God wants to do in your life. That's why in Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. That if we are gonna sustain the perspective that produces joy, fix your eyes, set your mind, guard your heart, and finally rest your body. You gotta rest your body. You know what I've discovered? Joy is nearly impossible when I'm exhausted. Joy is nearly impossible when I'm exhausted. And some of us, instead of making rest a priority, we're trying to keep the pace of everybody around us. And if you try to keep pace instead of making rest a priority, you'll wear yourself out. And exhausted people are very rarely joyful people. And all throughout the scriptures, it says rest. I mean, from the very beginning, Jesus, 
said it. God modeled it all throughout the scriptures. And in Mark chapter six, there comes this time when the disciples are working hard for Jesus and doing things and, and advancing the gospel. And it says in verse 30 of Mark chapter six, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that had, they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. But I'm doing ministry, Jesus, we're working hard. People are coming to know you and we're doing all these amazing things. He said, that's great. But if you burn yourself out, if you wear yourself out, you're gonna be robbed of joy and useless to my kingdom. So come on, it's okay. It's okay to not make yourself accessible to everybody for a little while. It's okay to take a nap. It's okay to rest. It's okay to slow down. That if we're going to sustain the perspective that produces joy in our lives, you have to fix your eyes, set your mind, guard your heart, and rest your body. But I also wanna remind you that the Spirit does not make us immune to seasons of sadness. Because the last thing that I want to happen is somebody to walk out of this room and you say, Matt, battle depression and anxiety and all these things and think, like, I just, I don't know if I have that joy. And then you let yourself get convinced, do I even have the spirit if I don't have joy, if there's not? But I, can I just remind you that all throughout scripture, we see permission to grieve. If you go into Matthew chapter four, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Then verse four, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That Jesus, when he showed up after Lazarus was dead and he saw the heartbroken sisters, what does it say? Shortest verse in the Bible. He wept. Jesus wept. You know what's crazy? Just because sadness is present doesn't mean joy is absent. I know you're like, what? That's who God is. Just like faith and fear often coexist, often sadness and joy are both present. Grief and joy can both be there. I know you're looking at me like, Matt, that's crazy. That's the power of the gospel. He just said that somehow generosity and poverty were both present. That trial and joy were both present. That's who God is. He can work in our lives in that way. And can I just remind you, I didn't get to this verse in the last service and I can't skip it this time. It's, it's from, y'all know my favorite verse, my favorite chapter in all the Bible, Romans 8. Romans 8, 18. It's this perspective. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. See, as followers of Jesus, the main reason why we have joy is because we know that there's more. There's always more, always more. So you bow your heads, close your eyes for just a second. And before we rush out of this room, can we just do some work really quickly? You say, Matt, I don't, I'm not exactly sure if I can define joy, but I know that my life doesn't have it. That's not a fruit that I see produced in me right now. And maybe one of those things, what do you, what do you need to do? Do you need, do you need to fix your eyes? Maybe it's a matter of fixing your eyes. You're, you're consuming too much of the wrong things. You're, you're, you're looking through the lens of the circumstance. You're, you're not looking through the lens of the gospel. You're not looking through life through the power and beauty of what Jesus has done. 
Or maybe it's, you know what, you got to set your mind. You're letting too many things stick in your mind, and you need the Holy Spirit's power to take those thoughts captive and purge those things out of your mind. Or maybe you say, you know what, my heart has gotten hard because of all the blows that it's taken over the years, and I need the Holy Spirit to come in and soften it and restore it. Or maybe you say, Matt, I'm exhausted because I'm living at a pace that's wearing me out and robbing me of joy. And I know I just need to... Will you do me a favor? If there's something that God's stirring in your heart at some point today, because I want to pray for you, would you go to our app, hit that respond tab, and just let me know. Say, just put, put your name and say, rest. I need, to, I need to change what I'm looking at. I need to soften my heart. Just let us, let us, you cannot overcome this by yourself. Let people in and let the Spirit work in and through those people to restore the joy of your salvation. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Father, thank you that the Spirit has the power to produce joy in our lives, that we don't have to live scared, afraid, broken, that, God, we can walk forward knowing, Lord, that you are with us and for us. And God, I pray for every person in this room that they would have the courage to reach out, to confess, to say what needs to be said in order to better understand what you want to do in their lives. God, help all of us to realize we don't have to do this alone. And God, help us to step into the things that are necessary to sustain that perspective that produces joy in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Venice Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Venice Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at venicechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Venice Church app by going to app.venicechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.